This episode of the MedBullet Step 1 podcast will go over the topic of heart murmurs from the cardiovascular section on MedBullets.com. Let's start this episode talking about some auscultation rules of thumb. Remember the mnemonic, all physicians take money or apartment M, where A stands for aortic valve, P stands for pulmonic valve, T stands for tricuspid valve, and M stands for mitral valve. So starting with the aortic valve, this is found at the upper right sternal border, and this is where you can hear aortic stenosis, a flow murmur, or aortic valve sclerosis. Remember that in the setting of a left ventricular outflow tract obstruction, you will have lateral displacement of maximal impulse, you may hear an S4 gallop, and you will hear in the upper left sternal border a harsh crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur. This is usually secondary to hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. Moving on to the pulmonic valve, in the upper left sternal border, you will hear pulmonic stenosis or a flow murmur, for example, in the setting of atrial septal defect. Moving on to the tricuspid valve, in the lower left sternal border, you may hear a pan-systolic murmur in the setting of tricuspid regurgitation and ventral septal defect, or a diastolic murmur in the setting of tricuspid stenosis and atrial septal defect. Finally, the mitral valve is heard at the apex, and you may hear a systolic murmur in the setting of mitral regurgitation and a diastolic murmur in mitral stenosis. So now let's go over a quick murmur cheat sheet to differentiate systolic versus diastolic murmurs. Both systolic and diastolic murmurs can be crescendo slash decrescendo or holosystolic. Crescendo slash decrescendo systolic murmurs include aortic stenosis to the neck, mitral valve prolapse, which will sound like a click, and hypertrophic obstructive cardiomyopathy. A diastolic crescendo-decrescendo murmur will be heard in aortic regurgitation. Moving on to holosystolic, systolic-holosystolic murmurs include mitral regurgitation to the axilla, tricuspid regurgitation in which inspiration increases the intensity, and ventral septal defect, which will sound harsh. And moving on to diastolic-holosystolic murmurs, this can be heard with mitral stenosis, where you will hear an opening snap. Now, let's talk about murmur identification in a bit more detail. Starting with the systolic murmurs, aortic stenosis will be crescendo-decrescendo and radiates to the neck, specifically the carotids and the apex. Characteristics of aortic stenosis include parvus at tardis or pulses that are weak compared to the hard sounds, and aortic stenosis follows an ejection click due to halting of the valve leaflets. Moving on to hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, or HOCAM, this is a crescendo-decrescendo murmur and is altered by decreased venous return. For example, a valsalva maneuver will increase the murmur. Mitral valve prolapse will have a late crescendo murmur. This is altered by increased total peripheral resistance. For example, squatting and or hand grip decreases the murmur, and decreased venous return, for example, a valsalva maneuver, will increase the murmur. Some characteristics to mention about mitral valve prolapse is that there is a mid-systolic click secondary to tensing of the corda tendinae. It is the loudest at S2 and tends to be later with increased afterload, for example, in the setting of a hand grip. Moving on to mitral regurgitation, this is a holosystolic murmur that radiates to the axilla. It is also altered by increased total peripheral resistance, for example, squatting and or hand grip, and increased left atrial return, for example, in the setting of expiration. Some characteristics about mitral regurgitation murmurs is that it is high-pitched and blowing. Moving on to tricuspid regurgitation, this is also a holosystolic murmur, but it radiates to the right sternal border, and it's altered by an increase in right atrial return, for example, in the setting of inspiration. 
characteristics of tricuspid regurgitation is that it is also high-pitched and blowing. Finally, ventral septal defect, or VSD, is also a holosystolic murmur, and characteristics include that it is very harsh-sounding. Now let's talk about diastolic murmurs. So aortic regurgitation is an early decrescendo murmur that is heard at the left sternal border with the patient leaning forward. Some characteristics to mention about aortic regurgitation is that high-pitched blowing is heard at the end of expiration. Moving on to mitral stenosis, this is characterized as a late rumble and is heard in the lateral left decubitus position. It is altered by an increase in left atrial return, for example, expiration. Finally, it's important to mention that an opening snap, secondary to tensing of the corda tendinae, is heard early in diastole after A2. Some other murmurs to mention include patent ductus arteriosus, or PDA, and atrial septal defect, or ASD. A PDA is a continuous murmur that is heard at the upper left sternal border, and it sounds machine-like, or a continuous-slash-constant murmur that is heard throughout systole and diastole. Finally, atrial septal defect, or ASD, is both a systolic and diastolic murmur. The systolic portion is heard at the upper left sternal border, this is the pulmonic valve, and the diastolic portion will be heard at the lower left sternal border, which is the tricuspid valve. Okay, so now that we've gone over the major points about this topic, let's go over a few questions to apply the information and get a sense of how this topic has been tested on past exams. The first question reads, A 58-year-old man comes to the emergency department for complaints of crushing chest pain for four hours. He was shoveling snow outside when the pain started. It is rated 7 out of 10 and radiates to his left arm. An electrocardiogram demonstrates ST segment elevation and leads V2 to V4. He subsequently undergoes percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, and is discharged with aspirin, clopidogrel, carvedilol, atorvastatin, and lisinopril. Five days later, the patient is brought to the emergency department by his wife with complaints of dizziness. He reports lightheadedness and palpitations for the past two hours, but otherwise feels fine. His temperature is 99.7 degrees Fahrenheit, or 37.6 degrees Celsius, Blood pressure is 95 over 55 millimeters of mercury, pulse is 105 per minute, and respirations are 17 per minute. A pulmonary artery catheter is performed and demonstrates an increase in oxygen concentration at the pulmonary artery. What finding would you expect in this patient? And the choices are 1. Drop of systolic blood pressure by 20 millimeters of mercury during inspiration. 2. Harsh, loud, holosystolic murmur at the lower left sternal border. 3. Normal findings. 4. Pulseless electrical activity, and 5. Widespread ST segment elevations. The correct answer to this question is 2. Harsh, loud, holosystolic murmur at the lower left sternal border. So this patient is presenting with ventricular septal rupture or VSR following a STEMI, for example hypotension and pulmonary artery oxygen step up 5 days following a STEMI. Physical examination will demonstrate a hard, loud, holosystolic murmur at the lower left sternal border. To quickly review, ventricular septal rupture is a rare complication of a myocardial infarction. It usually occurs 3 to 5 days after an acute MI, but may range from 1 to 14 days post-MI. Patients with single-vessel disease, especially the left anterior descending artery, are at an increased risk of septal rupture. Patients may present with hemodynamic compromise manifested as hypotension, biventricular failure, and a new murmur. The murmur is best heard at the lower left sternal border with occasional widespread radiation and is described as hard, loud, and holosystolic. Of note, the murmur may be mistaken for an acute mitral regurgitation. 
Therefore, confirmation of the diagnosis requires insertion of a pulmonary artery balloon catheter to demonstrate the left-to-right shunt via the pulmonary artery and right atrium oxygen step-up. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, drop of systolic blood pressure by 20 millimeters of mercury, describes pulses paradoxus, which is often seen in cardiac tamponade. Cardiac tamponade can result from incomplete slash subacute rupture of the left ventricular free wall. Answer 3, normal findings are unlikely in this case, where the pulmonary artery catheterization demonstrates findings suggestive of ventricular septal rupture. Answer 4, pulseless electrical activity is seen in cases of precipitous hemodynamic instability that can result from a complete rupture of the left ventricular free wall, leading to hemopericardium or ventricular septal rupture, leading to cardiogenic shock. However, this patient appears reasonably stable at this time. And finally, answer 5, widespread ST segment elevations are seen in pericarditis, which presents with complaints of chest pain and a friction rub. This usually happens 1 to 3 days post-MI or several weeks post-MI otherwise known as Dressler syndrome. To leave you with a bullet summary, ventricular septal rupture following an MI will present with a harsh, loud, and holosystolic murmur best heard at the lower left sternal border. Moving on to the next question. A 43-year-old man presents to his primary care physician for his yearly checkup exam. He has no new concerns but wants to make sure that his hypertension and diabetes are properly controlled. His past medical history is otherwise unremarkable, and his only medications are metformin and lisinopril. He has smoked a pack of cigarettes per day since he was 16 years of age and drinks three beers per night. Physical exam is remarkable for a murmur best heard in the fifth intercostal space at the left midclavicular line. The murmur is high-pitched and blowing in character and can be heard throughout systole. Which of the following properties is characteristic of this patient's most likely disorder? And the choices are 1. Presents with an opening snap. 2. Radiation of murmur to the axilla. 3. Radiation of murmur to the neck. 4. Radiation of murmur to the right sternal border. And 5. Results in mixing of blood between the left and right ventricles. The correct answer to this question is 2. Radiation of the murmur to the axilla. So this patient with a holosystolic, high-pitched blowing murmur that is best heard in the left fifth intercostal space most likely has mitral regurgitation, which presents with radiation of the murmur to the axilla. Heart murmurs can be distinguished by the location in which they are best heard, the timing of the murmur within the cardiac cycle, and associated findings with the murmur. For example, mitral valve murmurs occur at the cardiac apex and will be best heard in the fifth intercostal space at the left midclavicular line. Stenosis of the mitral valve will be heard during diastole, whereas regurgitation and prolapse will be heard during systole. During systole, regurgitation will be heard throughout the cycle, whereas prolapse will have a late crescendo character after a mid-systolic click. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, presents with an opening snap is consistent with a mitral stenosis murmur, however this murmur would be heard during diastole rather than systole. Answer 3, radiation of the murmur to the neck is consistent with aortic stenosis. However, this patient's murmur location is most consistent with the mitral valve-based pathology. Answer 4, radiation to the right sternal border is consistent with a tricuspid regurgitation murmur. However, this patient's murmur location is most consistent with the mitral valve-based pathology. And finally, answer 5, results in mixing of blood between the left and right ventricles is consistent with a ventricular septal defect. However, this patient's murmur sounds high-pitched and blowing rather than harsh. To leave you with a bullet summary, mitral regurgitation is holosystolic and sounds high-pitched and blowing in character. Moving on to the next question. 
A 43-year-old gentleman with a history of intravenous drug use presents with general fatigue and weakness accompanied by swelling in his ankles and lower legs. Further questions elicit that he has had many infections due to his drug use, but has not previously had any cardiac or pulmonary issues. Upon physical examination, you notice a holosystolic blowing murmur radiating to the right sternal border, which the patient denies being told about previously. Based on this presentation, what is the most likely cause of the murmur? And the choices are 1. Ventricular septal defect 2. Tricuspid stenosis 3. Tricuspid regurgitation 4. Mitral stenosis and 5. Mitral regurgitation The correct answer to this question is 3. Tricuspid regurgitation so this patient's presentation is consistent with the diagnosis of tricuspid regurgitation secondary to right-sided endocarditis related to the use of intravenous drugs. To quickly review, tricuspid regurgitation presents as a holosystolic blowing murmur with right-sided radiation. It is often associated with symptoms of right heart dysfunction, such as increased jugular venous pressure and accumulation of systemic edema in dependent areas such as the ankles. It's important to suspect tricuspid valve dysfunction in patients with a history of intravenous drug use because bacteria such as Staphylococcus aureus are often present as contaminants in the drugs used. Upon introduction to the bloodstream, these bacteria can damage heart valves and cause new onset murmurs. Pierce et al. discussed the current diagnostic criteria for infectious endocarditis. Specifically, they note that while right-sided endocarditis is much less common than left-sided endocarditis, the majority of cases are associated with intravenous drug use and therefore should be considered in this set of patients. The diagnosis of tricuspid endocarditis, however, is complicated by the finding that most infections do not produce an audible murmur. They also note that pulmonic valve involvement is very rare. Hutton et al. discuss emerging modalities of imaging and image processing that can further elucidate the mechanics involved in tricuspid regurgitation. They discuss how the degree of valve tenting and annular enlargement can affect the hemodynamic consequences of regurgitation and conclude that these emerging techniques can be used to better evaluate which patients will benefit either from surgical valve repair or percutaneous methods. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, Answer 1. Ventricular septal defects produce a holosystolic harsh-sounding murmur, but would be unlikely to first present in a patient of this age. Answer 2. Tricuspid stenosis is uncommon and would present as a diastolic murmur. Answer 4. Mitral stenosis would present as a diastolic murmur that presents after an opening snap. And finally, answer 5. Mitral regurgitation would radiate to the left axilla rather than to the right sternal border. Moving on to the next question. An 85-year-old man presents to his primary care provider after feeling lightheaded. He said that he helped his wife in the garden for the first time, but that while moving some bags of soil, he felt like he was going to faint. He had a big breakfast of oatmeal and eggs prior to working in the garden. He has no significant past medical history and takes a baby aspirin daily. Physical exam reveals an elderly, well-nourished, well-built man with no evidence of cyanosis or tachypnea. Vital signs show normal temperature, blood pressure of 150 over 70, heart rate of 80, and respiratory rate of 18. Cardiac exam reveals a crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur. What is the most likely cause of this patient's diagnosis? And the choices are 1. Congenital defect, 2. Calcification, 3. Atherosclerosis, 4. Infection, and 5. Malnutrition. The correct answer to this question is 2. Calcification. So this elderly patient most likely experiences presyncope due to aortic stenosis. 
Most cases of aortic stenosis are due to age-related calcification of the aortic valve leaflets. In age-related degenerative aortic stenosis, the aortic valves suffer wear and tear damage over many years, leading to endothelial and fibrous damage resulting in calcification of the trileaflet valve. This is the most likely cause of aortic stenosis in patients greater than age 65. Aortic stenosis may cause syncope during exertion. The left ventricle cannot increase cardiac output significantly across the stiffened aortic valve. In response to relative hypoxia from decreased perfusion, peripheral vessels vasodilate. The combination of decreased cardiac output and vasodilation, particularly for the brain, can lead to loss of consciousness. Aortic stenosis typically causes a crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur that radiates to the carotids. Grimard and Larson reviewed the major clinical symptoms of aortic stenosis and the associated median survival rates. Citing earlier studies by Ross and Braunwald, they list the classical triad of angina, syncope, and congestive heart failure, which when present in a patient with aortic stenosis, suggest median survival terms of 5, 3, and 2 years respectively. New atrial fibrillation in a patient with aortic stenosis portends death within 6 months if not treated. Chan et al. of the Astronomer Study Group recently completed a randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial assessing the effectiveness of statins in slowing the progression of aortic stenosis. This trial was designed on the assumption that atherosclerosis can also contribute to valvular disease. They did note that resuvastatin slowed progression of mild to moderate aortic stenosis. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, congenital defects such as bicuspid aortic valves are the most common cause of aortic stenosis in patients less than age 65. Answer 3, although theoretically plausible, as noted in the astronomer trials and others, such as C's and saltire, atherosclerosis is not the overarching pathogenetic factor in aortic stenosis. Answer 4, prior infections such as rheumatic fever or an active infection of the valves could cause aortic stenosis. However, this patient has no significant medical history. Finally, answer five, the patient is noted to be well-nourished on physical exam and had a meal before presentation, making hypoglycemia or malnutrition less likely. Moving on to the next question. A 58-year-old female presents to her primary care physician with complaints of chest pain and palpitations. A thorough past medical history reveals a diagnosis of rheumatic fever during childhood. Echocardiography is conducted and shows enlargement of the left atrium and narrowing of the mitral valve opening. Which of the following should the physician expect to hear on cardiac auscultation? And the choices are 1. Mid-systolic click. 2. Holosystolic murmur that radiates to the axilla. 3. Opening snap following the aortic component of the S2 heart sound. 4. Continuous machine-like murmur. And 5. High-pitched blowing decrescendo murmur in early diastole. The correct answer to this question is 3, opening snap following the aortic component of the S2 heart sound. So this patient is suffering from mitral valve stenosis. The opening snap of mitral stenosis occurs in diastole after the A2 heart sound, that is closure of the aortic valve. The murmur of mitral stenosis is a mid-diastolic rumbling murmur heard after the opening snap. The opening snap of mitral stenosis is due to the forceful opening of the mitral valve and the tensing of the corda tendinae. Additional findings on auscultation include a loud first heart sound due to the forceful closing of the mitral valve. Shipton et al. discussed the diagnosis and management of valvular heart disease. Echocardiography is the gold standard for diagnosis. For patients with stenotic valvular disease, clinical monitoring is appropriate until symptoms develop and surgery should be considered. 
In contrast, regurgitant valvular lesions require strict monitoring of left ventricular function and may necessitate surgery prior to the onset of symptoms. Chandrasekhar et al. review mitral stenosis. It is most common in developing countries where treatment and follow-up after rheumatic fever may be limited. For patients in whom surgery is indicated, percutaneous balloon valvuloplasty is the treatment of choice. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, a mid-systolic click is suggestive of mitral valve prolapse. Answer 2, mitral regurgitation is characterized by a holosystolic murmur that radiates to the axilla. Answer 4, a continuous machine-like murmur is characteristic of a patent ductus arteriosus or PDA. And finally, answer 5, aortic regurgitation is associated with a high-pitched blowing decrescendo murmur in early diastole. And moving on to the final question, a 37-year-old woman presents to the clinic for routine checkup. She has no complaints with the exception of occasional shortness of breath. Her physical examination is unremarkable with the exception of a snap-like sound after S2 followed by a rumbling murmur. You notice that this murmur is heard best at the cardiac apex. A history of which of the following are you most likely to elicit upon further questioning of this patient? And the choices are 1. Family history of aortic valve replacement at a young age. 2. Hyperflexibility, vision problems, and pneumothorax. 3. Systolic click auscultated on physical exam 10 years prior. 4. Repeated episodes of streptococcal pharyngitis as a child. And 5. Cutaneous flushing, diarrhea, and bronchospasm. The correct answer to this question is for repeated episodes of streptococcal pharyngitis as a child. So this young patient with an opening snap after S2 followed by a low-pitched rumbling murmur has signs characteristic of mitral stenosis. The most common cause of mitral stenosis worldwide is rheumatic heart disease, a sequela of untreated streptococcal pharyngitis. Rheumatic heart disease leads to fusion of the mitral leaflet commissures as well as thickened, fused, and shortened corda tendinae. The opening snap heard in mitral stenosis is caused by a sudden halt in the movement of the mitral leaflets as they open due to fused commissures. It is important to differentiate an opening snap from a split S2. The former is heard best at the apex, the latter at the base of the heart. The late diastolic rumble heard in mitral stenosis is caused by turbulent blood flow through the stenotic valve. Shipton and Waba discuss the diagnosis and treatment of the major types of valvular heart disease. They note that mitral stenosis primarily affects women. Many cases are asymptomatic until pregnancy, when the heart is under increased strain. Another common presenting manifestation is atrial fibrillation caused by left atrial enlargement due to the increased afterload placed on that chamber. Dean et al. reported a retrospective study of 736 patients with mitral stenosis who underwent percutaneous mitral valve commissurotomy. There was an 84% survival rate at 4 years. Risk factors associated with mortality included age greater than 70 and NYHA heart failure class 4 status. To quickly go over the incorrect answers, answer 1, bicuspid aortic valve is inherited in an autosomal dominant fashion and this condition can lead to aortic stenosis at a young age, characterized by a crescendo-decrescendo systolic murmur that radiates to the carotids and pulses parvus et tardis. Answer 2, a potential complication of Marfan syndrome is aortic root dilatation and resulting aortic regurgitation characterized by a decrescendo diastolic murmur, water hammer pulses, quinky pulses, and other classic manifestations. Answer 3, mitral valve prolapse may progress to mitral regurgitation characterized by a pansystolic murmur heard best at the cardiac apex and radiating to the axilla. 
And finally, answer five, tricuspid regurgitation is a potential complication of carcinoid syndrome. The tricuspid regurgitation is pansystolic, but unlike the mitral regurgitation murmur, is best heard at the left lower sternal border. That's all for this review about heart murmurs. Hopefully that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session by MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. Keep in mind that these podcasts are designed to go along with the topics on MedBullets.com, and in fact, you can listen to these episodes right on the MedBullets website or mobile app while going through the topic. If you've gotten any value from the MedBullets Step 1 podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.